Welcome to the Bible in 260 podcast, the podcast that brings you through the entire Bible in 260 days. Have you ever wanted to read the whole Bible but struggled to do so? This podcast is meant to help you do it. With five 15 to 20 minute episodes per week, you will hear the entire Bible read to you. There will also be occasional brief notes to help explain context, as well as a concluding question or thought to consider. So welcome to the Bible in 260 podcast, your journey through the Bible in 260 days. Welcome to episode 109. Today we are looking at three major themes that we see in our passages today, and that is wisdom, power, and love. We'll see this wisdom given to King Solomon, and we'll see the power and love, especially in Romans uh, chapter 8 and Psalm 42. But in all these passages, we see that all these things truly come from God. So let's dive in, beginning with 1 Kings chapter 3. Solomon made an alliance by marriage with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He married Pharaoh's daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he could finish building his residence and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. Now the people were offering sacrifices at the high places because in those days a temple had not yet been built to honor the Lord. Solomon demonstrated his loyalty to the Lord by following the practices of his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burnt incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for it had been the most prominent of the high places. Solomon would offer up 1,000 burnt sacrifices on the altar there. One night in Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream. God said, Tell me what I should give you. Solomon replied, You demonstrated great loyalty to your servant, my father David, as he served you faithfully, properly, and sincerely. You have maintained this great loyalty to this day by allowing his son to sit on his throne. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in my father David's place, even though I am only a young man and I am inexperienced. Your servant stands among your chosen people. They are a great nation that is too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning mind so that he can make judicial decisions for your people and distinguish right from wrong. Otherwise, no one is able to make judicial decisions for this great nation of yours. The Lord was pleased with Solomon that he made this request. God said to him, Because you have asked for the ability to make wise judicial decisions and not for long life or riches or vengeance on your enemies, I grant your request and give you a wise and discerning mind superior to that of anyone who has preceded you or will succeed you. Furthermore, I am giving you what you did not request, riches and honor, so that you will be the greatest king of your generation. If you follow my instructions by obeying my rules and regulations, just as your father David did, then I will grant you a long life. Solomon then woke up and realized it was a dream. He went to Jerusalem, stood before the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, offered up burnt sacrifices, presented peace offerings, and held a feast for all his servants. Then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. One of the women said, "Woman of the women said, My master, this woman and I live in the same house. I had a baby while she was with me in the house. Then three days later, after I had my baby, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There was no one else in the house except the two of us. This woman's child suffocated during the night when she rolled on top of him. She got up in the middle of the night and she took my son from my side while your servant was sleeping. She put him in her arms and she put her dead son in my arms. I got up in the morning to nurse my son and there he was, dead. But when I examined him carefully in the morning, I realized it was not my baby. The other woman said, No, my son is alive. Your son is dead. But the first woman replied, No, your son is dead. My son is alive. 
each presented her case before the king. The king said, One says, My son is alive, your son is dead, while the other says, No, your son is dead, my son is alive. The king ordered, Get me a sword. So they placed a sword before the king. Then the king said, Cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. The real mother spoke up to the king, for her motherly instincts were awakened. She said, My master, give her the living child. Whatever you do, don't kill him. But the other woman said, Neither one of us will have him. Let him be cut in two. The king responded, Give the first woman the living child. Don't kill him. She is the mother. When all Israel heard about the judicial decision which the king had rendered, they respected the king, for they realized that he possessed divine wisdom to make judicial decisions. There, God's promise of wisdom to Solomon was given and uh, put on display right away. And now we continue on, and we'll be reading from Second Chronicles chapter 1. Solomon, son of David, solidified his royal authority, for the Lord his God was with him and magnified him greatly. Solomon addressed all Israel, including those who commanded units of a thousand and a hundred, the judges and all the leaders of Israel, who were heads of their families. Solomon and the entire assembly went to the worship center in Gibeon, for the tent where they met God was located there, which Moses the Lord's servant had made in the wilderness. Now David had brought up the ark of God from Kirith-Jerim to the place he had prepared for it, for he had pitched the tent for it in Jerusalem. But the bronze altar made by Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, was in front of the Lord's tabernacle. Solomon and all the entire assembly prayed to him there. Solomon went up to the bronze altar before the Lord, which was at the meeting tent, and he offered up 1,000 burnt sacrifices. That night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Tell me what I should give you. Solomon replied to God, You demonstrated great loyalty to my father David and have made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, may your promise to my father David be realized. For you have made me king over a great nation as numerous as the dust of the earth. Now give me wisdom and discernment so I can effectively lead this nation. Otherwise, no one is able to make judicial decisions for this great nation of yours. God said to Solomon, Because you desire this and did not ask for riches, wealth, and honor, or for vengeance on your enemies, and because you did not ask for long life, but requested wisdom and discernment so that you can make judicial decisions for my people, over whom I have made you king, you are granted wisdom and discernment. Furthermore, I am giving you riches, wealth, and honor, surpassing that of any king before or after you. Solomon left the meeting tent and the worship center in Gibeon and went to Jerusalem, where he reigned over Israel. Solomon accumulated chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses. He kept them in assigned cities and in Jerusalem. The king made silver and gold as plentiful in Jerusalem as stones. Cedar was as plentiful as sycamore fig trees are in the foothills. Solomon acquired his horses from Egypt and from the quay. The king's traders purchased them from the quay. They made 6,000 silver pieces for each chariot from Egypt and 150 silver pieces for each horse. They also sold chariots and horses to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. And so we see in these passages Solomon's request for wisdom. God grants it along with many other things. And we see Solomon begin to acquire wealth and riches and power. And we'll see how this goes in the years of his life. But now we're going to turn to Psalm 42, which is a a beautiful psalm, a psalm written by the Korahites. And it's a psalm that really expresses a longing for God above all else. Psalm 42. For the music director, a well-written song by the Korahites. As a deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. 
I thirst for God, for the living God. I say, when will I be able to go up and appear in God's presence? I cannot eat. I weep day and night. All day long they say to me, where is your God? I will remember and weep. For I was once walking along with the great throng to the temple of God, shouting and giving thanks along with the crowd as we celebrated the holy festival. Why are you so depressed, O my soul? Why are you upset? Wait for God, for I will again give thanks to my God for his saving intervention. I am depressed, so I will pray to you while in the region of the upper Jordan, from Hermon, from Mount Mizar. One deep stream calls out to another at the sound of your waterfalls. All your billows and waves overwhelm me. By day the Lord decrees his loyal love, and by night he gives me a song, a prayer to the God of my life. I will pray to God, my high ridge. Why do you ignore me? Why must I walk around mourning because my enemies oppress me? My enemies' taunts cut me to the bone, as they say to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you depressed, O my soul? Why are you upset? Wait for God, for I will again give thanks to my God for his saving intervention. Again, such a beautiful psalm calling out to God for his saving grace, for his saving power to be shown in his life, and knowing that that is a request that can be made because this God that he worships is a God of love. And now we turn to Romans chapter 8, one of the most amazing chapters of the Bible, which has expressed in it so many truths that uh, I wish I could read it over and over again. But here's Romans chapter 8, where we read about how God saves his people, empowers them with his spirit, shows great love for them, and really is the God of all wisdom, power, and love. Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the life-giving spirit in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God achieved what the law could not do because it was weakened through the flesh. By sending his own son in the likeness of of sinful flesh and concerning sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the righteous requirement of the law may be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their outlook shaped by the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit have their outlook shaped by the things of the Spirit. For the outlook of the flesh is death, but the outlook of the Spirit is life and peace. Because the outlook of the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to the law of God, nor is it able to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, this person does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is your life because of righteousness. Moreover, if the Spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, the one who raised Christ from the dead will also make your mortal bodies alive through his Spirit who lives in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you are put to death, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. 
For you did not receive the spirit of slavery leading again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom you cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, then heirs, namely heirs of God and also fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so may we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that our present sufferings cannot even be compared to the coming glory that will be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because God who subjected it and hoped that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers together until now. Not only this, but we ourselves also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with endurance. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how we should pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes on behalf of the saints according to God's will. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that his Son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Indeed, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, freely give us all things? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is the one who will condemn? Christ is the one who died, and more than that he was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and who also is interceding for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will trouble, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, For your sake we encounter death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we have complete victory through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor heavenly rulers, nor things that are present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is a passage I think we could read every day. And it's a passage that we could read every day because it tells us of how great God's love truly is for us in Jesus, proven to us in him how the Spirit works in us and through us, and how all this shows us just how amazing God's wisdom, power, and love truly are as he draws people to himself. And as we put our faith and trust in him in response, we experience a new life, a new life of joy, a new life of peace, and a new life of a love that can never be taken away from us 
that nothing could separate us from this love in Christ Jesus. What an amazing passage. Praise God. Thanks for listening to the Bible in 260 podcast. May what you have heard speak to your heart and mind today. The scriptures quoted are from the Net Bible, http netbible.com, copyright 1996-2019, used with permission from Biblical Studies Press, LLC, all rights reserved. Our theme song for the podcast is The Call by Emily Ruth. You can find The Call and other music by Emily Ruth on Apple Music or Spotify or wherever you find your music. You're